right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety treatment, and how to get your life back. This is episode 30, and I am your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician uh, here in California, and I specialize in the treatment of OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders, to no surprise. So welcome to all of you new listeners, to everyone out there who has uh, just found this podcast. Um, I, I, this is, the, as I said, the 30th episode. I've been told recently that uh, uh, iTunes and some other places that uh, have the podcast actually are only showing 10 or so episodes. So hopefully I corrected that and y'all can see that we do have more episodes than just simply 10. But uh, to all of you new listeners, thank you for joining us. For all of you return listeners, thank you for coming back. Um, so this is the podcast that is a uh, question and answer based uh, uh, show for uh, for you, the listeners, to email me in questions about uh, treatment or about um, uh, uh, anxiety issues and uh, and how to work with it, what treatment looks like, and and how to uh, as as I said at the top of the show to get your life back, to find a better way to live despite the fact that we have anxiety and we get these unwanted intrusive thoughts and things make us nervous and we want to avoid things. And I think that's to be said pretty much about everyone who's ever lived. So anxiety is the uh, is the most common mental health disorder that uh, pretty much everyone is going to experience at some point in their life. So this is something that's worth chatting about and worth uh, acknowledging that, um, yeah, we get anxious, we get nervous, but you know what? It's also equally important to acknowledge that it's not the end of the world. So if you have a question for a future episode, you can head over to fearcastpodcast.com, uh, find the uh, ask a question link there, and uh, I think it's a submit a question link there, um, and ask me a question. And everybody, if you like the show, please go over to iTunes, wherever else you get your podcasts, and uh, give me a like, give me a thumbs up, give me a uh, review if you uh, so choose to. Uh, it means the world to me, and uh, it helps other people to find the show. So I know the past couple weeks have been pretty, well, they've been kind of inconsistent with what uh, with the show, hopefully, or I've been trying to do the episode every, every other week, but uh, lately it's been every three weeks. I might have gone four weeks between doing episodes recently, but um, setting up my new practice, things are humming along. They're kind of moving along just fine. So things are getting back to a stable, more predictable uh, life for me so I can get back to doing these more often, which is, which is great. I'm hoping to just block out some time in my work schedule to be able to do this. But um, as of yet, I haven't been able to do that. So for everybody who's looking for the consistency of the show, I do apologize. Uh, it's been a pain for me. It might be a pain for you. Who knows? But uh, thank you all for your dedication and coming back and listening and uh, uh, sending in your questions. So to that end, this episode is going to be based on a question from a listener. So the question this week comes from Ben. Ben asks, for the purposes of ERP, I'm stumped by this. It has to do with engaging in a religious discipline, but it could be any situation which is socially expected. And then he goes on to say, the situation is this. I feel a very negative, suffocating feeling when I think about having to do this activity. For ERP, should I push through wanting to avoid it and do it anyways? If I don't do the expected activity, the thought enters, what does it say about me if I don't engage? Which of course causes anxiety. So for ERP, should I engage in the activity in order to confront the feeling that it's what I ought to do? They go on to say, I don't know if that makes sense. 
I want it to be a general question for all OCD struggles. All right, Ben. Um, so it, it was a little confusing at the very end. There was a lot of uh, oughts and not and go and and withhold. And so it, it, was, it was a little confusing, but I think I get what you're saying here. So what I wanted to do is to kind of rewrite this. You specifically said that this is about a, a, a religious thing, but it could be about kind of anything. So I'm going to pose two different scenarios here. And uh, hopefully this, these are broad enough that we can, we can kind of then talk about it in more specifics. Um, and, and, and hopefully they're a bit accurate to what you're referring to. But uh, hopefully it's also now giving some context for some other folks who may be experiencing a similar situation to what you're talking about. Because it sounds like, Ben, what you're talking about is you have a certain situation that, you, that you're going to do or that you feel like you should do. Uh, you say it's socially expected. So that kind of sounds like there's an obligation placed on you, but it also sounds like this is just something that is done within your religious community or it's just something that is done that everyone kind of does. But you're kind of acknowledging some anxiety in the idea of doing it, but then you get this backwards anxiety about what happens if you don't do it. So we're going to talk about two different scenarios. So for the religious one, um, we'll talk about the idea of doing communion. Now this for for some, uh, uh, specifically Christian or Catholic or kind of within that world of some denomination that happens to take communion, uh, this is something that typically would be expected within those communities. So we'll perhaps phrase it as this. If I do it, meaning if I do a communion, I get a suffocating uncomfortable feeling because it makes me think that I could have committed some sin so terrible that I can't be forgiven or that I won't confess everything. Now, on the flip side, if I don't do it and save myself momentarily from having to deal with the suffocating feeling, I feel like I'm abandoning my faith, giving up on God, and willfully living in sin and will eventually be thrown into hell as a result. Now, Ben, I'm reading a lot into your question, but I'm also providing a little bit of context for some folks who may be experiencing these. Now, for the non-religious one, we can think about, let's say, shaking hands with someone in a meeting. This can be really uncomfortable on, on a lot of different levels, but this would be something that would be expected from someone uh, in a meeting. You'd walk up and you'd shake the other person's hand. You'd shake a, a bunch of people's hands, depending on the context of the meeting. So it might be phrased like this. If I do it, meaning shaking these people's hands, I get a suffocating, uncomfortable feeling that I'm exchanging bacteria and viruses on our skin, potentially leading myself to getting horribly sick or potentially making them sick, spreading it to their family, potentially resulting in irreversible medical issues for their kids as one fun option. All right, the second one then for the shaking hands, if I don't do it, I'll save myself from momentarily having to feel the suffocating feeling, but I may be seen by others as being better than everybody. They'll think that I'm a terrible employee of the company, and I'll likely get fired because I'm not going along with what's expected of me in the meeting. Now, I know these scenarios covered a, a lot of different ground, and, and again, I, I think this may apply for some folks who listen, definitely won't apply to some folks who, who are listening. But then the question is, 
what do we do with these? Because you've got these thoughts and both of them make you feel uncomfortable of doing it or not doing it. The first thing I'll have you do, and if I'm if I was working with you, Ben, the first thing I'd do is to start looking at what cognitive distortions may be going on. Now, um, if if cognitive distortions are new to everybody, uh, check out my previous episode to this one. So episode, episode 29, we talked about what cognitive distortions are, how they work, how they impact our thinking. As a brief summary of it, cognitive distortions, think about it as screwed up thinking. In other words, our brain is misinterpreting overvaluing and overestimating the level of risks involved in certain situations, and it's going to skew the way that we perceive ourselves, the world around us, the outcomes of a certain situation in, in some specific kinds of ways. So when we're looking at feared thoughts like this, I, I always want to be considering what the feared consequences are of doing or not doing whatever it is that we're afraid of doing. And we can look at those feared consequences and that feared story, and then to see what the likelihood is that those things are actually going to happen. Is there any basis for what we're afraid of? Now, what this can sometimes do in context or in combination with thinking about our cognitive distortions is we can see is what we're afraid of, is the fear that we have well-founded? Is there any element that we can think of that might be inaccurate, blown too out of proportion? Or do we have some evidence that, yeah, we, we could experience that, or it, and not only could we, but is it likely to happen? Or is it, could it happen, but it's going to be unlikely to happen? Now, a lot of this can be a compulsive type of thinking for some folks out there, meaning you're going to be thinking about your thoughts and trying to look for certainty that everything's going to be okay. Now, of course, that is a compulsive cycle and, and a compulsive process, but for some, and in certain contexts, especially within a therapy context, it can be helpful to look at these possibilities and then to use them as firm grounding to then make an action plan of what we're going to do to challenge the legitimacy of the thought. The compulsive cycle often leads us back into thinking and rethinking and reevaluating the same situations over and over again to get an emotional sense of certainty. Now, again, that would be a compulsion, and that can be that can be applied for someone with OCD or someone without OCD, someone who has generalized anxiety or someone who has social anxiety or something to that effect. We might be trying to find this emotional certainty, and then we say, "All right, now that I feel comfortable, now I can do it." Sometimes we're just going to feel uncomfortable, but we're going to get into that. What are the ways that we can challenge the legitimacy of these stories? Now, I, in either way, in doing it or not doing it, is you can reframe the feared story from what if blank, so what if this happens, to asking yourself, do I really think that blank will happen? So again, what that feared story is. Now, likely when you ask this question and you reframe it, your rational brain will hopefully kick in when simply given the premise of what if blank, it's asking you to entertain the thought with the basic assumption that this thing, this bad thing is happening. And likely speaking, based on our feared thoughts, it's a terrible premise, uh, and it's going to be like the worst aspects of any Black Mirror or like a, a Twilight Zone episode. Now, if you've seen those shows, you know what those are about. Those are based on the prem. They, they, they have a very simple premise of like, what if you're in a world that does this? Or what if this is a weird situation that you're in? And then the main characters in that are, are asked to respond to that. And they respond in ways that I think sometimes you and I would. So for example, what if you're stuck in a world in which everything you do is judged and reviewed and the bad reviews 
could prevent you from opportunities in life. So that was a Black Mirror episode. Or, or what if you're stuck in a world in which you got everything that you wanted? It's a Twilight episode. Super good. Um, now, both of those, when we simply ask, what if, what if blank? It's an invitation to fantasy. It's an invitation to explore and to think about what could happen, what might happen. We start getting flooded with all these images of that. Now, when we do that, naturally, we're going to start to feel uncomfortable. However, when we reframe it to say, well, to my feared story, do I really think that blank is going to happen? For example, do I really think that I'm going to be in a world where I get everything that I want? No, I, I don't. Now, do I think that I'm going to be in a world where everybody is going to judge me and from those judgments and evaluations that it might limit or might hinder some of the opportunities that I have? Now, maybe, but likely not. I mean, we are in a world where we are evaluated by some people and in some different ways. But do I, do I really think that from these reviews, it is going to stop me from having opportunities in my life? No, I don't. So, Ben, you can start with that premise. Do I really think blank is going to happen? All right, but perhaps I'm getting us off the subject. So, you asked, all right, for ERP purposes, what should I do? Now, for ERP, for uh, for those of you who are new to it, this is uh, exposure and response prevention. This is the tool that we use to face and to challenge the fears that we have. So, it's two parts, exposure and response prevention. The exposure is facing the fear, doing the thing that you're afraid of exposing yourself to the feared stimulus, the feared thing, whatever it is. The response prevention, or, or for some people we'll say ritual prevention, and that, that is your compulsion where we are resisting uh, our response. So we're trying to not do it. So for some, it's going to be exposing yourself to something dirty, response prevention, without washing your hands. The rule of thumb in this is often do the opposite of what your anxiety says. So in the in the situation of uh, washing your hands, you touch something dirty, your brain will say, you got to wash your hands or else blank, right? Or in the context of public speaking, it's going to be, uh, uh, don't do it. So we would say, all right, in, in, instead, we're going to touch the, the dirty thing and then not wash our hands, or we're going to give the public speech because our brain is saying, don't do it. Now, that's a good premise. That's a good place to start. I think that's where pretty much everyone would start. However, what you're describing is 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 somewhat common, and I see see a lot in my practice. Is that sometimes our brain gets us stuck in a catch twenty two and kind of a lose lose situation. So, in other words, you are anxious no matter what you do. It's a if you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't type of thing. And that your anxiety isn't suggesting a, quote, right thing to do because, you know, you could not do it and there are consequences and you could do it, but there are also going to be consequences there too, it seems. And this feels so frustrating for, for so many reasons. I mean, you go online and you read stuff about ERP, you pick up a book and it talks about ERP and it kind of just talks about do the opposite of what you think you're supposed to do. But you're going, well, I don't really want to do that, but I also don't want to feel the anxiety. And regardless of that, I feel anxious either way. So this is going to be one of those situations where acceptance of anxiety and even using, you know, pulling from tools from acceptance and commitment therapy is going to be incredibly helpful. So being mindfully and willfully open to discomfort is going to be a necessity in this situation. So in other words, instead of fighting with the thought, should I do blank as an exposure, meaning doing it or not doing it, or fighting with the potential, what does it say about me if I don't engage? Or even what does it say about me if I do engage? Instead, reflect on what you rationally, reasonably think is the most right situation. 
Now, we can get caught up in what the most right situation is, and if you get stuck with that, um, take a break. And that, if you get caught in that cycle, it might be worth it to work with your therapist on how to get unstuck from that process. But generally speaking, you can consider what the most right situation is. Now, when I'm talking about doing what's most right or deciding what's most right in a situation, because in this context, there isn't a perfect outcome in which you don't experience anxiety or just kind of feels fully right, is a way to consider yourself or consider your ideal self. A way to consider the person that you ultimately want to be. The person that, the person that you feel like you're growing into, the person that you know, like at, at the end of your life, this is how you want to be described. This is how you want your friends and your loved ones and your bosses to describe you as. That's your ideal self. So you can consider what does my ideal self, anxiety aside, do? Does my ideal self do blank? And if they do, well, then accept the fear and the momentary discomfort. Then also remind yourself that the more you do it, the easier it's going to be. So in the religious context of doing communion. So does your ideal self take communion? When you think about it, is that who you want to be? Is that who you want your religious life to, or is that what you want your religious life to include? Now, it's kind of expected, but you get uncomfortable. And then you consider, well, who am I going to be, or what, am I going to be judged if I don't do it? Now, you might be, be judged by other people for not doing it. You might be judged by your priests or your pastors or whoever it might be. But what does your ideal self want to be? If you don't care about taking communion, who cares? Then do whatever you want. But if you go, man, that's ultimately speaking, that's what I want to be. Now, in the other context, am I the sort of person that wants to be known as the person who shakes hands, the guy who goes up and looks him in the eye and shakes their hands? Regardless, anxiety aside, does, does that describe me? Or am I fine being the guy who doesn't? Now, also with this, if you feel like your ideal self doesn't really care and you're fine with not shaking hands with people, you can pull a Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel, likely speaking, I think he's actually talked about this, that he does in fact have OCD. Now, he he's kind of known for the fist bump. That's what he does. He doesn't shake people's hands. He's a fist bump guy. Now, I'm not his clinician. I don't know exactly what's going on with him in full detail. But if he's doing that because of contamination concerns, well, he's decided that that's the kind of guy he wants to be and the kind of guy he wants to be known as. And you know what? That's working for him. Now, I think some of you might be saying or, or some of you might be hearing uh, uh, this concept. Oh my gosh, Kevin is advising somebody do a compulsions. Kevin is advising someone avoid. Now, in this context, that's not necessarily what I'm doing. What I'm, what I'm, what I can't really do is to address on this podcast, not knowing the details of what this person wants to do or doesn't want to do. It sounds like Ben, what you're talking about is you're stuck in the evaluative state. Should I do this or should I not do this? Is it the right thing to do? Or what's the wrong thing to do? What's the ERP thing to do? So what we're addressing isn't the consequences necessarily of what the outcomes are, but we're addressing how do we move past this decision-making process? And it comes down to making a decision. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's harder than the actual thing um, because we can evaluate the pros and cons of both sides of things and go, okay, well, this one has these uh, these pros, but it has these cons. And then this one is okay over here, but in this case, it's not. So we can go back and forth with that 
But if we never make a decision, then we're stuck. So we've got to make a decision. So that's what we're addressing here. Again, Ben, if you were in my office, we might be having a longer discussion. We would likely be having a longer discussion about this. But either way, getting back to the subject. So before I got off my random tangent, I said, the more that you do it, the easier it's going to be. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to go away completely, but it's going to become easier over time, especially as you continue to push, continue to challenge yourself and do the thing over and over again. Now, my best example of that, and I know I reference public speaking a lot, and is that I get nervous with public speaking. I get nervous every single time. Now, that's it doesn't matter how big or how small the amount of people is that I'm talking to. I can sometimes get nervous before doing a family session when I bring in like the mom or the dad or the boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever of a client of mine is that I, I get nervous. Because, you know, my brain tells me crazy thoughts about what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, I get those uncomfortable feelings and the what ifs and all that stuff. But you know what? My ideal self is someone who wants to be a public speaker, to be an educator, to be a podcaster. So despite my anxiety, I do it. And over time, it has become easier. My anxiety when I first started this podcast was pretty high. I'm not this sort of guy that does this. But... I found it important. I wanted to try to do it, so I did it. And every time I do it, it's become easier. But it doesn't stop my crazy man thoughts from showing up after every time I record and saying, you know what, that's the last one I do. It's all going to be awful. No one's going to like it. No one's going to listen. I'm going to, I, I, no one is ever going to listen again. This is what my brain says. But you know what? People keep listening because my anxious brain is overestimating the level of risks and the terrible consequences. And you know what? My brain is wrong on that. And Ben, I'm willing to bet that your brain is wrong in this context too. So Ben, going back to the idea of, of what you should do for your ERP. Well, I want you to play out that feared story of what does it say if I don't engage? So I want you to go back to that idea of what does it say if I don't engage? And you can even play out the what if I do engage? Because your brain is telling you that there is some type of feared consequence. Something terrible is going to happen if you do this thing. But with the exposure, what we're doing is we're facing our fear and we're dealing with the outcome. We're experiencing the consequences of it. When we feel anxious, we're essentially saying, when, we're do, when we do avoidance and compulsions, we're essentially saying, I'm unwilling to experience the negative outcome that I fear is coming down the, coming down the road. But I want you to ask you this, or I want you to ask yourself this. How long do you have to wait until that thing happens? When is that bad thing going to happen? So how long is it going to take before you see the feared results? So what does it say if I don't engage? I don't know. Play out that story. But how soon until you're actually going to see it? Are you going to see it after 20 minutes? Is it 40 minutes? Is it a couple of days? How long? But you know what? What, we, what we're doing with this is, as well is we're doing the exposure and we're sitting in the discomfort of waiting. And you and I are going to see when that happens, and we're going to wait for that anxiety to drop off. For example, with uh, like for example, with uh, uh, let's say HOCD, uh, sexual orientation OCD. Now, I can't have someone. I can't expose them to being gay because it would require them to actually be gay, be on a, be in a romantic relationship, have sex with a man, something to that effect, or a woman if you're a woman. So, but it's to do the thing they're actually afraid of. So, what we're actually doing with that one is we are doing something that feels uncomfortable and we are sitting in the discomfort between now and the moment that that that, that we turn or we change or we discover that we're fully gay we're waiting 
Now, how long is it going to take? So that's what we're doing here. So what I want you to do is to consider how long until you actually see that thing. And then wait that long and see if it happens. Now, if and when it doesn't happen, remind yourself that whatever that feared thing was didn't happen. Or it didn't happen in the way that you feared. Then what you can do is use this as a firm grounding and an encouragement to do it again. To do it again next time. Now, for religious stuff, of course, this is harder for religious stuff because... How are we going to know when we've lost our salvation? We get a lightning bolt. We get priests that tell us, hey, you know what? You, you have, uh, you've lost your salvation. All the priests just get together and they all agree. It's that we don't know, or we're going to find out when we're dead, or we're never going to find out, right? So for religious stuff is that, uh, and, and, and this is a little bit more nuanced, and I, uh, of course, I'd prefer that, uh, that we have this discussion in person, but one thing that we can do is to, we can reflect back on what pastors and priests have said about those feared consequences. Have the majority of the pastors and priests, the rational, reasonable ones, not the crazy loony bin ones out there, and you know who I'm talking about, but the rational ones. Have they acknowledged, yes, your fear is likely and reasonable and is backed up uh, through doctrine and everything else that we talk about? Or are they saying, no, it's, it's not the way you think, but your anxiety is telling you that it is true or whatever it is. So either way, you're going to feel uncomfortable, but I want you to reflect back on what the pastors and priests have said and then take the risk and make a decision either way and we're going to wait. Usually we're going to wait for that anxiety to start coming down because it always will. But again, think about what your most ideal self would do and who you want to be. Do you want to be the guy that avoids or the guy who does whatever action or whatever commitment that you want to do because you find it important and you find it valuable both personally and professionally and spiritually and relationally? All of those things. So in conclusion, Ben, remember that this is a no-win situation when it comes to ERP. So instead of trying to find the right exposure, the right process to do, do whichever you want to do. Meaning, do what makes most sense to your values, do what it makes most sense to you rationally as to who it is that you want to be. And then for either direction, make space for the fear and for the uncertainty and for the discomfort. Remember, that feeling is always going to go away. We just have to wait it out. So know that whenever you do this thing, because you said it's expected, it's what we all do. Again, if that's something that you're willing to do and you want to be the sort of guy that does this, know that you're going to get that very negative, suffocating feeling when you do it. Because sometimes these things makes us feel uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable giving public speeches, but I do it anyways, because it's important to me. And with that thought that says, well, what does it say about me if I don't engage? Well, you can say, you know what? Maybe that's going to happen. What does it say about me? Well, maybe it means that I'm a, a, a coward, or it means that I'm irreligious, or it means that I'm uh, heretical, or it means that I'm a bad employee or bad partner. I don't know what it means, but it's, it's, we can say, you know what, maybe that's what it means. But I'm making a decision because I'm not going to get stuck in the decision-making process. So, Ben and everybody else who's listening, I hope this was helpful for you in, in, in helping you get unstuck from this process. And sometimes we get stuck in these that the, the process of deciding what the most or most beneficial and, and best exposure can be, that's the problem is deciding what's the most perfect uh, exposure to do. Instead, we do it because it's 
imperfect. We do it, and there's nothing that we can do to try to get away from that uncomfortable feeling and anxiety. So we're just going to have to realize we are going to have to face anxiety. Which brings me again back to OCD and anxiety isn't a thought problem, it's a feeling problem. You're trying to avoid feeling uncomfortable. You're not. You can't. You and I are never going to get out of feeling uncomfortable in life. Life is uncomfortable. Relationships and interacting and doing stuff is uncomfortable. And the more that we can create space for discomfort as just one of the things that we're going to experience, the easier our life is going to be. When we pretend as if we can get through life without feeling discomfort or suffocating feelings or negative feelings or unwanted feelings, whatever it may be, whether it's sadness or anxiety or anger or disappointment, we're just going to end up disappointing ourselves and we're going to make disappointment and anger and anxiety and fear the biggest and most terrible things in our life. But instead, we just say, it's one of the things I'm going to feel. So... I'm going to make this decision and I'm going to move forward with it and I'm going to deal with the consequences that come. So again, I hope that was helpful. And Ben, thank you so much for the question. All right, everybody. Thank you for making it through episode number 30. Getting into the 30s. It's crazy. So uh, again, thank you all for listening. You know, if you have any feedback for Ben or if you have any uh, uh, things that you want to add to what I had said, uh, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. You can uh, uh, write me some notes about that, what you think should be done differently, what other recommendations that you would make. Um, if you have a question yourself for a future episode, go over to Fearcast Podcast, send me uh, a, a message over there. The Fearcast Podcast can be found on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and also on Spotify. Uh, but again, however you're listening to it, listen to it there. Please also remember to subscribe, give me a like, give me a review. Uh, again, it means so much to me, and it does help other people find the podcast. Now, if you have questions yourself about how to get involved with uh, get involved in treatment, uh, you can go to fearcastpodcast.com, and you can uh, go up to the Find Help link. There's going to be some links to uh, uh, some other areas that, or some places that you can find help, uh, places that you can find therapists for this specifically. Um, I am also in private practice with the California OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center. You can go over uh, to calocd, C-A-L-O-C-D.com. You can learn more about my practice, and I do intense of treatment. I do individual therapy. I do teletherapy. I'm licensed in California and Montana, and there are some select states and uh, uh, countries that I'm also able to work. But you can go check that out uh, on my website there. All right, everybody. So until next time, please remember that uh, uh, the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. Uh, Again, if you have questions about treatment, go to fearcastpodcast.com. All right. Until next time, everybody. Take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.